It's morning. As you can tell, my voice is shot, so I'm going to try not to be too animated. So Mike always tells me I'm so over-animated and excited, so I'm going to try to dial it back, uh, try to hold my voice through uh, after uh, speaking so much last week in uh, Louisville. Uh, so I'll try to take it easy. But I want you to notice, uh, as you come to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, uh, you'll notice the first few words say, when Jesus had finished. The Gospel of Matthew uh, sets forward five sections that are all keyed off by that phrase, when Jesus had finished. At the end of Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, it says, and when Jesus had finished these teachings. And here in Matthew 11 and verse 1, uh, it says, and Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples. At the end of chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, same thing in chapter 19, verse 1, as well as chapter 26, verse 1. So the book itself divides itself into fifths. And so we're in a new section right here as we come uh, to chapter 11. And so that's why this is called the teachings of Jesus. You're going to see a lot of parables uh, in this section, a lot of Jesus trying to explain who he is as well as what the kingdom is supposed to look like, what this kingdom is uh, that we ultimately enjoy. So for the next few weeks on Sunday morning, we'll be looking at the the teachings and the parables of Jesus that will carry us into uh, November. But for this morning then, in Matthew chapter 11, we're going to talk about not being offended. Uh, One of our greatest life disappointments, they often come from our life expectations not matching reality. You think about how often that happens in life. Here is the way I think things will go or how I thought they would go. And then here's the reality of that. And that kind of disconnect can really be an obstacle in our lives. In fact, it can be a really big obstacle when it comes to the gospel. It can really be hard when what we think about Jesus and his message doesn't match with the reality of Jesus and his message. And we're not alone in that. What you're going to notice in chapter 11 is they are dealing with the very same thing. And so we're going to talk about now uh, expectations of Jesus and his gospel message and then the reality of it and what that means ultimately for our lives. You'll notice those first six verses, as was just read for us, you have an interesting picture that has come about. You'll notice in verse two, it says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That is interesting. Here is John in prison. Now, Matthew 11 doesn't tell us why yet. Chapter 14, he's going to tell us why. Already tells you that the gospel of Matthew is not in sequence. He's going to tell us later what what all that's about. Right now, I just want you to know, John's in prison. And I want you to notice something says there in verse 2, he's hearing about the deeds of Christ. 
we'll hopefully make it through. <clears throat> he's here. <clears throat> he's hearing about what Jesus is doing. And he has a question in verse 3. Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Are you surprised by that question? I want you to think about that question for a minute. He's in prison. Probably not what he expected life to look like, right? Didn't expect to see himself in prison going through this. And he gets his disciples and he says, I want you to go talk to Jesus and ask him a question. Are you the one who is to come? Or are we going to look for another? And I think it is amazing to think about John in that situation. John has gone around saying, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John is the one who went around saying, the one who comes after me is greater than I. I'm unworthy to even stoop down and loosen his sandals. John is the one that when Jesus came to him to be baptized, said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I need to be baptized by you. I'm not going to baptize you. John is the one who would have seen the heavens opened, heard the voice, this is my son, seen the spirit descend. It is this John who is in prison saying, are you the one or do we look for another? How is it possible for John to ask that question? And I think the answer is clear. I have a, a subtitle to this lesson, though the title's called Not Offended. Uh, the subtitle is Hope When Doubting. Because John's doubting. That's where John is at. John sits in prison and things aren't going to play him. Things aren't going to expectation. This is not how he visualized what Jesus would be doing. Boy, when you think about that, what do you think Jesus could have said? You go tell John, <laughs> you go tell John, where's your faith? Yeah. Have I, have you not seen all these things in my life and you're doubting me? You know, Jesus could have said a number of things and expressed his disappointment, chastised John, uh, scolded John, questioned John's faith. Look at what Jesus answers in verse four. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. What Jesus does is he says, Here's, you, tell, you tell John 
I'm doing what the prophecy said. Yeah, great. Rather than chastising, rather than frustration, rather than criticism, rather than what's the matter with you, rather than, you know, why don't you understand? I love that Jesus just says, you just go tell John, I'm doing exactly what was prophesied that the Christ was supposed to do. Giving sight to the blind, making the lame walk. Thank you. Uh, cleansing those who have leprosy, giving the the hearing to the deaf, raising the dead, the poor have, have the good news preached to them. But I want you to notice how he ended it in verse 6. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I want you to think about that ending. Think about that response for a minute. Because that's something. So here's his answer. Uh, I'm doing exactly what the Christ is supposed to do. I am fulfilling prophecy. But blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What Jesus does is he reassures John in this response. But the question is, are you going to be offended by me and by my work. Here's that big idea, I think, as this unfolds. Jesus is pointing out that he does not work according to our expectation level. John's in prison. I don't think that's the way he thought that was going to go. Being the forerunner of Christ, I don't think he thought he was signing up for imprisonment and what will chapter 14 will reveal beheading and Jesus says I'm doing the work but are you going to be offended by that are you going to be upset by that is that going to bother you with my expectations and what you think I'm supposed to do I want you to think about it like this is that Jesus does not go around and take a survey of what he, everyone thinks the Savior is supposed to do and then go around do it. You know, Jesus is not here for a, a, a popularity contest. Tell me what you want in a Messiah so that I can go ahead and fulfill those expectations. You know, what are you looking for? What do you really want from me so that I can give you what you're looking for? You see, Jesus goes about saying, not only am I not going to do that, but I'm going to challenge your expectations. What I'm going to teach and what I'm going to do is going to challenge what you would expect out of a Messiah. And I think that's an important beginning point because chapters 11, 12, and 13 are all going to be these teachings and they're going to be these parables. And what Jesus is going to do in these teachings is absolutely shatter our expectation level. Here's what we think a Messiah should do. And he's going to come along and go, let me just knock all those down and break all of those into pieces because that's not what I've come to do. Now, I want you to hold on to that idea because it is interesting that you'll notice that Jesus leaves this idea for a minute because he wants to illustrate this when it comes to the expectations of John. Look at, look at verse 7 now. It says there in verse 7, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. 
What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, those among, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here is Jesus, and he goes, so John had expectations of Jesus, and his answer is, I'm fulfilling scripture, don't be offended. But now notice he turns this on the crowds. And he says there in verse 7, when you went out into the wilderness, what did you expect to see? And his first one is, did you expect to see a reed shaken by the wind? Now, we can read that and go, now what does that mean, right? You know, see a reed shaken by the wind. The whole idea is swayed by opinions. Here's this reed, you know, and the wind comes. You know, it's like basically politicians, right? Wind blows, wind blows. Did you think you were going to see that in John? Did you expect John to just be shaken by opinions? And the basic answer is, no, that's not what he was doing. Did you think that was going to be what he was going to do, is try to appease everybody? Well, clearly not. When you read about him, what's he preaching? Uh, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. Uh, You're going to be baptized by fire. He's he's not swayed uh, by public opinion, and he's not preaching a soft message. Verse 8. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Now you might wonder, okay, well, what is that getting at? Is a man dressed in soft clothing? Well, that was reserved for people of, of luxury. In fact, you notice verse 8 explains that. Soft clothing are for those who are in king's houses. The idea is you didn't wear durable clothes for heavy, hard labor. You got to wear the kingly clothes because you, you sat around in the palace all day. You, and you read about John, what is he wearing? Uh, camel's hair for a garment. You know, he's got some tough clothing on because he's out there doing hard work. And so he says, did you think you were going out there and seeing somebody who was not a hard worker, but kind of was uh, in the lap of luxury, laying around, you know, having grapes dropped in his mouth, palm fronds? Did you think you were seeing that kind of guy? No, that's not, not who he was either. Verse 9. Who, who did you, what did you go out to see? A prophet? And he goes, yes, but if you thought you saw a prophet, you missed it. The rest of verse 9, he says, more than a prophet. In fact, he says in verse 10, this is the one 
that was spoken of that said, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way for the Lord. If you jump down to verse 14, it says there, if you're willing to accept it, he's Elijah. If you're willing to accept it, he's not only a prophet, he's much more than a prophet. In fact, not only is he much more than a prophet, he was the Elijah that Malachi 3 and verse 1 was prophesied. That's where he's looking at. That's where he's quoting from. This is the one who was the forerunner that spoke of the restoration. But please notice something amazing in verse 11. You look at verse 11. Among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John. You ever thought about that? Jesus says, you know, Abraham, John beats him. Moses, John's greater. Joshua, John's greater. Elijah, John's greater. Elisha, yep, John's more than that too. Samuel, John. David, John. Solomon, John. All the prophets, nope, John. No one born of woman is greater than John. What a huge statement about the work of John, who he is and what he'd come to do. His role was so important in leading the way and preparing the people for the coming of Jesus. I want you to hold that idea in your mind because we're going to come back to that at the very end. But notice now what Jesus does with this. Look at verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. So notice something that that Jesus is putting forward. Here is the point. He goes and says, did you see, did you expect to see someone who is a reed shaken by the wind? Someone wearing soft clothes, just a basic old prophet. And he goes, John defied all expectations. He defied every expectation. And friends, that's why he's ultimately in prison. When you back up there to verse 12, it says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force and all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. The reason why John's in prison is because no one's listening to him. The reason he ends up in prison is no one's submitting to his message. And John represents something that Jesus is going to illustrate in a number of his parables. How the response to John and the response to what God is trying to do often is reject the message and kill the messenger. And here John sits in prison because he didn't make what their expectations were. He didn't match up. He wasn't what they wanted. And so they're take instead of submitting to him, they are violently acting against him. And that's the ultimately the problem. He uses an illustration to show this. Notice when he, he does this weird story. 
And when he says there in verse 16, it's like children sitting in the marketplace calling their, their playmates. Oh, so I want you to visualize this a minute. Okay, so here's all these kids. They're calling to all their playmates. Hey, come play with us. And then verse 17, here's what they say. We played the flute for you, but you're not dancing. And then the rest of it, we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. You catch the illustration? You didn't do what we wanted. He says, you're like fickle children. You sit there in the marketplace and say, hey, friends, come. We're going to play this music and we want you to dance. And the kids go, well, we don't want to do that. (laughs) That's not what we want to play. And then they go, okay, well, um, we're going to sing a dirge and we, we want you to mourn. And they go, well, we're not going to do that. So notice the application that he makes with that. Verse 18. John came neither eating or drinking. And they say he has a demon. So John comes and he's fasting. Remember what he's doing in the wilderness? He's a strange looking guy. He's got camel's hair on. He's eating locust dipped in wild honey. You know, there's a meal right there. That's all he's doing out there. You don't know what they said about John? He's got a demon. Since he's out there fasting and eating strange and wearing strange clothes, clearly he's not from God. Now notice what he says in verse 19. The son of man came eating and drinking. And what do they say about him? A glutton and a drunkard. Did you get the point? We can't win. John comes fasting out there in the wilderness and you go, no, no, that's not right. Son of man comes, he is eating and drinking. And they go, no, no, that's not right. We don't like that either. See the illustration? We played a flute, but you're not dancing. We sang a dirt, we we played a dirge and you didn't mourn. You aren't doing what we want you to do. Here's this key point that he's getting across to them. The problem is not with Jesus nor is the problem with his message. The problem is with us and our expectations. He says, we came. The problem is, you just don't like how we came. The problem is, you don't like what we're saying. You don't like what we're trying to do. That's the issue. And I think this is such an important Truth that is being made here for a moment. And something that I want you to think about for a minute. For our lives today, what are your expectations of Jesus? What do you think he should do for you? What do you think his message should sound like? What should he teach? Put this another way. What would make you happy with Jesus? Well, if he only had taught, if he had only done, you know, then I would accept it. Then I'd be happy with him. Then I'd like his message. If he had said this or not done that, if he had done this thing but not that thing. 
I think this is such an important truth that is being presented here, is that we come to Jesus thinking that we get to tell him the way it's supposed to be. We're going to tell him what the message should be. We're going to tell him what the gospel should be. We're going to tell him how life should look. We're going to tell him what salvation should look like. We're going to tell him how these things should all play out. And Jesus is going, it doesn't work like that. I didn't come to earth, take a survey, and ask for your opinion. But we want to act like that's the God we serve. We want to act like we serve a God who is very interested in public opinion. You know, please tell me what you like and don't like. I'll, I'll make future improvements. You know, like he's a restaurant. You know, what? Did, give me your survey back, you know. We'd like your feedback on this. But the problems with our expectations. And that's what he is getting at here when you back up to verse 6. What is? How does Jesus send this about John? Bless the one is the one who's not offended. What's Jesus observing? I'm going to break your expectations. I'm going to break your expectations. The way you think I should function is not the way I function. And what you think I should teach is not what I'm going to teach. Because here's John in prison. And John's got some doubts now. And Jesus' answer is, are your expectations going to keep you from following me? What you think I should do, is that going to keep you from following me? What you think I should teach, is that going to keep you from following me? You'll notice he says it again in verse 14. If you're willing to accept it, do you see that there? Are you willing to accept what I'm putting forward? And I wanted to put it forward to us this way. Will we accept Jesus shattering our expectations? And I can't get into your mind. I can't get into your heart. But I know all of us have certain expectations of what we think God should do for us. Certain expectations of what we think he should have said or taught or done things that we think he should do for our lives and Jesus answer to that is will you be offended by me when I don't match your expectations will you walk away from me because I don't match what you want and I put this out here for those who are doubting and I want to ask this challenging question. Is it possible that your doubts are only because Jesus doesn't match your expectations? Because I think a lot of times that's what it is. A lot of the times, what it really is, it's not that there's a problem with truth but we're just not sure about this Jesus who defies expectations. Let me circle back to something I think that's really important before we close. Because I want you to see 
what we are forfeiting if we reject this Jesus. I want you to go back to verse 11. He says there, no one is greater than John who has been born of this world. We just went through our minds. Greater than Abraham, Moses, Samuel, David. Read the rest of verse 11. The one who's even the least in the kingdom is greater than John. Do we appreciate the privileged position of where God has put us in Christ? That Jesus could come along and say, here's all of human history up to the point of Jesus standing on the earth. And he says, all of those prophets, all of those heroes, all of those people of faith, John's the greatest. But if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you're greater than John. What an amazing thing to say to help us appreciate where we are in the scope of redemption, in God's plan to save the world, that if you belong to the kingdom of God, do you see what you have? Do you understand what you possess? Do you understand the great riches that are in your hand? Don't let doubt throw that away. Don't let sin take that from your hand. You have greatness in the kingdom. And so often we will allow our expectations of Jesus to keep us from that deep value and that prized possession of enjoying the kingdom of heaven. And I hope that we would not do that. Do not miss out on this offer that Jesus has for your life simply because he doesn't match your expectations. Instead, I want you to be enthralled by a God who challenges our expectations. That he comes to us and goes, you've got some wrong ideas about me and I'm challenging you. But I want you to see the value of accepting Jesus. I want you to see the value of coming to him. And don't be like verse 16. Verse 16 is spoiled children who sit back and go, you didn't do what I wanted. Did you have that when you were kids? You had friends like that. You're not doing what I wanted, so I'm not going to play with you anymore. I remember having friends like that. It was annoying. Like, really? The only time I'll be your friend is if you do what I want. Don't approach God like that. Don't have your arms folded toward God and say, I'll only fall if you do what I want. He isn't taking surveys. He's not doing popularity opinions. He isn't swayed by the wind. He has come to do the thing you need most, save your soul. And we need to accept his message and throw out the expectations because he's accomplished great things and has made you belong to the glorious kingdom of God. Let's go to God in prayer.
our Heavenly Father. Lord, thank You for challenging us. And Lord, I thank You that You come to us with a compassionate heart in our times of doubt. Everyone has doubts, we doubt. And we're often challenged by who You are. We're challenged by Your message. and We're challenged by Your actions. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for the times that we've crossed our arms and walked away because we had certain expectations of you. Forgive us, Lord, for how often we can act like spoiled children making demands of you. And Lord, I pray that we would have open hearts to receive your offer, to hear your words of salvation. Lord, to allow the beauty of your teaching just to resonate within us so deeply that anyone who belongs to you and to your kingdom is greater than all who have ever walked of faith before. Thank you for bringing us to this place. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for having us enjoy your kingdom and all the privileges the great riches that we enjoy. And Lord, we look forward to the greatness of eternity to see you face to face and to spend all our days with you. It will be wonderful. And we thank you for your son that makes it possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to sing an invitation song. We invite you to toss aside expectations kick expectations out and allow your expectations to be molded by what Jesus says he's come to do. He is operating for your best interest. He's doing what you need. So set those doubts aside. Follow him with all of your heart. Turn away from sin. Obey him. And we want to help you do that this very morning. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand, while we sit?